Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Wagner is in the center of Bakhmut, the place that was once described as vastly strategically important and then not strategically important at all, but was strategically important enough for the Kiev regime to feed tens of thousands of their young, poor, bloody infantry conscripts into the Minsa has fallen and is encircled, cutting off the remaining troops that have not been killed or surrendered from any possibility of resupply or reinforcement. As insiders in Zelensky's cabinet make clear, whole areas of southern and eastern Ukraine now lie open to a full-scale Russian advance. But will that be the only consequence of today's news? Because a cafe reportedly owned by the founder of Wagner, the private military company that has just defeated NATO in Bakhmut, a cafe owned by him has just blown up killing a very important man, a military man, a media man, a man of importance in the eastern Ukrainian politics and therefore in Russian politics. You may not have heard of Vladled Tartarsky, but everybody in Russia has. He fell for the old Trojan horse routine, that devilish maneuver of accepting a statuette from a complete stranger at a public meeting in a cafe. And he has paid for it with his life and the limbs of six other people who were cut down in the exploding statuette in the minutes, seconds, after I think you can see on the screen the terrible explosion. It's a terrorist attack, of course. It's a terrorist attack on a vital and historic Russian city. It will surely be answered. The killing of the young daughter of Alexander Dugin was answered, if you like, in a, a macro way. All kinds of infrastructure was severely damaged and destroyed in retaliation for that terrorist attack. But it's beyond clear, surely, that Zelensky and his gang 
care nothing for the vital infrastructure of their country, still less for the lives of their countrymen and women. And therefore, it's likely that this time the revenge will be acutely personal. It will focus on individuals, not on decision-making centers, but on decision-makers. It's likely also to see a toughening of attitudes in Moscow, where a serious debate rages as to why Russia has not yet used the full power of its reportedly 800,000 soldiers now in the eastern part of Ukraine. When, people ask, are they going to take the gloves off? I speak as someone who has opposed this war from the day that it began, back in 2014. Anyone who was in any doubt that it began then should see the tweet I issued this week, or rather a retweet from the general election of 2015, in which I say atop a picture of me arguing with someone in the streets of Bradford debating the war in Ukraine on the streets of Bradford today in 2015. Some things never change. I'm still debating it now with you in 2023, but I strongly doubt that I'll be debating it in 2024. I will be speaking for the last time in Glasgow in Scotland tomorrow night. Uh, people are gathering on Glasgow Green at, uh, from 6 o'clock uh, tomorrow evening in Glasgow. No to NATO, no to war are being forced to meet like recusants in the wilderness of Glasgow Green by the memorial statue because, of course, the friends of NATO have successfully intimidated our original venue into cancelling our booking the third time that this has happened. It will be my first speech in Scotland for many years, and as I say, it will be my last one. And it's having to be held in a secret location near Glasgow Green. Everyone gather at Glasgow Green. All roads lead to Glasgow tomorrow from six o'clock. And in that speech, I'll be trying to share the wisdom of Peter Hitchens, the right-wing conservative columnist in Britain's biggest selling newspaper, The Mail on Sunday Today, in which he argues that the country has been willfully deprived of a vital material fact. And that vital material fact is that this war did not begin on February 25 last year. This war began with the violent, illegal, unconstitutional US and EU organized and executed military coup that overthrew the elected president of Ukraine, sent him fleeing into the night, setting the parliament on fire, forcing the members of the parliament unconstitutionally to sign a decree that the president had fled and must be replaced. The second decree that they were forced to sign made illegal the use of the Russian language 
in all public affairs in the eastern part of Ukraine where everybody speaks Russian. In fact, Zelensky himself is a Russian speaker, can barely speak the Ukrainian language. That's how complicated this whole matter is, which makes the more shameful the visit of the British King Charles and Camilla to the German Parliament this week. Two divorcees on the throne of Britain frolicking in Berlin. What would the deposed King Edward have thought of it? How different everything might have been. But in that speech to the German Parliament, King Charles, no less, repeated the absolute lie that the war in Ukraine on February 25 of last year was an unprovoked invasion. As Peter Hitchens points out, the very last thing in the world that it was, was unprovoked. It had been provoked every single day since 2014, with every barrage of rockets and shells and bullets that cut down thousands of people in the eastern part of Ukraine. Rockets, shells, and bullets fired by the government forces sent by Ukraine into the areas that did not accept the violent overthrow of their president. Now, Peter Hitchens' use of the word willful is very important. It is not true that King Charles doesn't know this. It is not true that the television, announcers, newsreaders, analysts, it is not true that the newspaper columnists do not know this simple truth. In other words, they are lying to the people they rule. They are lying to the people they're supposed to serve. They're lying to the customers of their television and newspaper interests. It is a militarized mendacity. It is an army of liars that have thrown sand in the eyes of the people of not just Britain, but the United States and all of Western Europe. It is a lie. I repeat the word, a lie, a calculated and deliberate falsehood to try and manufacture consent for a war which has wrecked our economy, emptied our military armories, cost the lives of our own soldiers on secret duties as so-called trainers and advisors, and risks the outbreak of a full-scale European war virtually certain to accelerate to uh, reach the dismal high standard of an exchange of nuclear weapons. That's how important a lie it was. And into that lie machine have been drawn the grandees of the social media big tech companies who also know that it's a lie, just like they knew that it was a lie that Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation. They knew that it was a lie, as Elon Musk and his Twitter files has proved. They know that our rulers are lying to you and willingly have enlisted in the lie machine, in the army of liars. 
You cannot trust a word that these people say. And that's why last Sunday, 990,000 people tuned in to the mother of all talk shows. That's why we're starting Moats in German in the month of May. That's why we're starting Moats America as soon after that as we practically can because the people need to hear the truth. There's a market for the truth. There's an audience for the truth. And there are sponsors for telling the truth to the people. And that's what we intend to do. Let me turn briefly to the farce that is the indictment of the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. Only a fool will need me to explain none of what I'm about to say means I'm a supporter of Donald Trump. But like Malcolm X, I'm for justice, no matter who it's for or who it's against. I'm for the truth, no matter who tells it. So here is the truth. Sure, Donald Trump may have paid hush money to a slattern, as my good friend Lionel in the United States inimitably put it. I don't know if he can be convicted of that or not, but I'm perfectly sure that he did it. And she won't be the only slattern that he paid hush money to. Billionaires do that. Though taking a look at Stormy Daniels, I myself can't see what it was that captured his attention. But what I do know is that Bill Clinton paid a lot more hush money to a lot more slatterns, some of them provided by Jeffrey Epstein. I have no doubt, and I can't vouch for their ages either. But nobody is putting him on trial. Hillary Clinton committed a war crime in Libya, but nobody is putting her on trial. Hillary Clinton stole a thousand times more documents from her job at the Department of State as Donald Trump ever removed to Mar-a-Lago. And I don't myself see Donald Trump as much of a reader. I doubt if he sits down burning the midnight oil reading his presidential papers. But I know the use to which the Clinton crime gang put the documents taken by Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton from inside government. And if you don't know, take a look at the accounts of the Clinton Foundation. I know that George W. Bush killed a million people and far from being put on trial for war crimes and crimes against humanity, he has evolved into a cuddly teddy bear hugged most often by Democrats, by the Obamas, by the Clintons and by the achingly, ball achingly liberal commentators on the American television networks. I know that every president of the United States has been a criminal of one sort or another. And therefore I know that the only reason the United States deep state can have decided to pursue this 
extraordinary banana republic move of putting their former president on a pep walk on Tuesday in New York. The only possible explanation is that they know that whilst they might have beaten them last time, and I accentuate the word might have beaten them last time, they sure as hell ain't going to beat him next time. And in a state of panic, fear, and alarm, they have decided to reduce their country still further to the status of the likes of Pakistan and other banana republics, where incoming governments arrest the outgoing government, where prime ministers arrest their predecessor, where presidents arrest the person who was in office before them. The United States provides abundant evidence of its new status in the eyes of the world. Whether it is the now 131 mass shootings in the first three months of this year, little children, their teachers, shoppers, cinema goers, sports enthusiasts, shot down by one maniac or another, with one manifesto or another, in the course of just three months, or whether it is the high farce of the country which murdered Patrice Lumumba, the country which set up Nelson Mandela and let him rot on Robben Island for 27 years, the country that supported apartheid and white supremacist rule in Southern Africa, holding a democracy summit in Lusaka. I know Lusaka well, though I have not been there for many years. I used to go there because that's the place where the headquarters of the African National Congress was. It's where Oliver Tambo, the man serving as leader of the ANC in the absence of Mandela in the apartheid dungeon. That's where he lived. That's where he served. The bush stretching out from Lusaka was the place where the armed wing, the hammer of the anti-apartheid cause were spread out and trained. And the reason I used to go there was because I was part of an international army of those who were seeking to bring down white supremacism and apartheid in Southern Africa. And we were in no doubt who our enemy was, not just the Boers, but the far more refined British, French, and even refined Americans who stood behind the forces of apartheid. Equally, we were in no doubt who our friends were. Every dinner that the armed wing of the ANC ever ate, every uniform on their back, every flight ticket that Tambo ever took across the world building support against apartheid, every material every piece of propaganda, every piece of diplomatic support came 
to the black African majority from where? From Russia. Not from Washington or London or Paris, but from Moscow. And there is one place above all where Patrice Lumumba is remembered. His name stands proudly above the entrance to the Patrice Lumumba University in Moscow. And you want to turn the Africans against Russia? You want to win the Africans to your side? You fools, you poor, poor fools. Much more of this coming up because this is the mother of all talk shows after all. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Here's the poll for this evening on which 17,884 people have already voted and the show has just begun. Will Stormy Daniels sink Donald Trump? A for yes, B for no. You can vote on my Twitter feed, on my YouTube channel where some of you are watching now, on my Telegram channel, ditto t.me forward slash George Galloway or on the YouTube community poll where 14,000 people have already cast their votes. You can vote more or less up to the end of the show. It's looking quite good for Donald Trump. If you feel differently, you better get your vote in quick. Our first guest this evening is one of my favorites. He's the senior research fellow at the Global Policy Institute and author of Bombs for Peace. NATO's humanitarian war on Yugoslavia. He is, of course, George Samuli. George, welcome back to the show. I could think of no one better to talk to on these important uh, turns uh, in the war this weekend. Let me start with uh, what may or may not turn out to be uh, the portentous proximate cause of a change of tactics in Moscow namely the assassination of a significant figure in a cafe, uh, as I said, falling for the old Trojan horse uh, technique uh, of being handed a statuette with a bomb inside it. Uh, How significant is that? And what do you think uh, uh, Moscow will be thinking now about how to respond? Well, it's hard to say 
whether it will be uh, significant. Um, <clears throat> we've had, of course, terrorist incidents already in this war. I mean, we had the assassination of Daria Dugina uh, a few months ago, and that didn't lead to any uh, dramatic escalation. So it's hard to know whether this will um, cause any uh, change in uh, tactics on the part of Russia. I mean, I think the most significant um, event in the near future will be the upcoming offensive, and I'm sure it's, it's coming, of, of the Ukrainian armed forces. I think this, the Americans and the Ukrainians are determined on mounting an offensive, quite where it'll take place, whether it'll be Zaporozhye or whether it'll be uh, towards Donetsk. Um, it's not clear, but I think a lot is going to hang on that. If this offensive fails, then there may well be a push for some sort of a negotiated outcome for the first time on the part of the Americans. If it succeeds, then I think it's, the, there will be very serious repercussions in Moscow. Now, uh, let's uh, talk about the fall of Bakhmut in that context. Uh, this is an operation that seems to have been more or less entirely mounted by the Wagner uh, private military company, which, if I'm right about that, is a remarkable situation, the might of NATO with all its weapons and its trainers and so on beaten by a private army uh, of uh, convicts who secured their release from prison uh, on condition that they serve in this particular army. Uh, how significant would the fall of Bakhmut be in the context uh, that you just described? Well, it's hard to know exactly whether it will be significant because it may be that the Ukrainian uh, forces will leave Bakhmut and dig in um, a few miles um, westward. Um, so we really don't know whether it's that significant, whether it's a feint and that, they, uh, that the real um, issue will be this um, uh, offensive, that the Americans are putting a great deal of um, emphasis on. I think that what, what the, why the Americans are setting such a high store on this upcoming offensive is that they want to show the Russians that they cannot win this war. If they can show that you cannot win this war, we're going to be here in perpetuity. We're going to just keep fighting and bleeding you and, uh, and resisting you forever. That will force Russia to uh, the negotiating table. I don't think that's going to work, but I think that's the American thinking. So I think that rather than Bakhmut, the... Um, the ultimate um, fate of this war will be decided by the, in this upcoming offensive. And when will it be upcoming? When do you expect it, George? What kind of forces do you expect uh, the Ukrainians to be able to field? And uh, where have they got them? Because they've been sustaining massive losses and dragooning young boys and old men on the streets. Where have they got these forces from if they have them? Well, I think they're, they're, they've, they've got obviously some uh, forces they, that uh, because they, they, unlike Russia, have mounted a full mobilization. Uh, Russia has only partially mobilized. So Russia, so the Ukrainians have full mobilization. They're mobilizing pretty much everyone from the age of 18 to 60. Um, there are also, without question, mercenaries fighting alongside the uh, Ukrainian forces. Um, 
What I think they're going to try and do um, is this mountain offensive on Zaporozhye and to cut the uh, the land bridge uh, to Crimea. The, the land bridge to Crimea is pretty much Russia's one, uh, you know, outstanding achievement uh, of this um, uh, operation that they launched uh, last February. So if they can cut that, that this is at least the American thinking, then they will have uh, accomplished something and then they will have put some sort of pressure on Russia and then America can say, hey, we have uh, we have won this war. If they fail and they um, expend a great deal of resources, then then I think there may be some pressure on, uh, and Zelensky has suggested this, that, hey, we can't go on with this. We're just losing too many uh, men. We're getting, it's getting harder and harder to mobilize. There's more and more protests against this um, enforced um, conscription and that they may not be able to continue. So I think, you know, whichever way it goes, uh, I, I, th- I think this is going to decide the, the fate of this war, this upcoming offensive. Now, you used a form of words earlier that intrigued me. Uh, if, uh, if, the, if this offensive succeeds, uh, it would have uh, serious consequences in Moscow. What did you mean by that? Well, I think that there will then be pressure within the Russian leadership to go for full mobilization and to push for a war economy. In other words, I mean, they've already said, Russian leaders have said, well, this is World War II. I mean, we're basically up against it. We've got the whole world, the at least we've got the world, the industrial powerhouses of the world are united against us. They want to destroy us. They want to do to us what the Nazi war machine tried to do to us. So we have to respond in the way that uh, the USSR responded in 1941, basically full mobilization uh, and to go for a war economy. Um, I think that that will be the decision of the Russian leadership. Now, whether that will lead to um, the the removal of of Putin or whether Putin himself will change policy, but they will realize that this way of fighting, this, uh, this continuation of um, a special military operation, they still refer to it as a special military operation, isn't working um, because they're up, they, you know, they're, they're fighting the whole of NATO and NATO's assorted allies around the world, you know, South Korea, Japan, Australia, everyone, you've got the whole lot is now mobilized against Russia. So to win this war, you know, you can't go on with the, this limited military operation. You have to really mobilize and a war economy. I think that. If, if that's that, I think there'll be the, the conclusion of the Russian leaders if this uh, offensive, uh, if if they succeed in cutting off the land bridge. What were the main reasons why uh, Russia decided to fight this war with one hand behind its back? Uh, for example, when we launched our war against Iraq, we completely destroyed uh, Baghdad. Uh, within hours, actually, uh, we had caused the death of 40 or 50,000 people in Baghdad. We set fire to the, to the whole of the city. We knocked out every single uh, power plant uh, in Iraq. We did all that within hours of the invasion of Iraq. Why did Russia not do that in relation to Ukraine? It's very hard to know because we don't yet know what was the thinking within the Russian leadership when they launched this. It's quite possible that they were calculating 
that there will be coups in various um, Ukrainian cities, uh, particularly Kiev, that will remove um, you know, Zelensky and you know various uh, city leaders in Kharkov, in Kherson, uh, obviously in, in Kiev, and that they will be able to achieve their ends without any uh, serious fighting. Um, and I think that their move towards Kiev would suggest that they were expecting some kind of a an coup within uh, Kiev, you know, the, the overthrow of uh, the, the Zelensky regime. Um, it didn't happen. I think when they that didn't happen, uh, Russia then moved to a different strategy, which was to focus on um, the Donbass. It was very, very odd. I mean, I've never heard of mounting a military operation without knocking out all of the military capabilities um, of the other side right away. Why not bomb the airfields, all the, the air defense systems, you know, the power stations, the infrastructure? You destroy all of that, then you send in your infantry. It, it's very odd that Russia didn't do it. That's why I tend to think that they, they had some intelligence uh, suggesting that there might be an overthrow of the government, and then, you know, they could just simply come to some uh, amicable agreement. I mean, to a certain extent, this happened in Kherson. There was a change of power. It was that it was taken peacefully. So there was a uh, a, a pro-Russian uh, group that took power in Kherson, and uh, the Russians took that over. That at least temporarily. So that would suggest that they were that this is how the the Russians were thinking that they wouldn't need to mount a a major uh, military offensive to win this. Now, finally, let's turn west for a moment, George. Uh, the Prime Minister, you're in Budapest. The Prime Minister of Hungary has been more and more outspoken. Uh, hence, he wasn't invited to the Democracy Forum uh, organized by the United States. More and more outspoken. Uh, and today he said that, the, that NATO had, uh, had destroyed both the economies and the moral purpose of the European Union by insisting, as it had, on, uh, on full uh, cooperation, turning the European Union countries into vassals of the United States. Is Orban's analysis finding an echo anywhere else in Western Europe? Not so far that I can see. Um, you're absolutely right, George. I mean, he's becoming more and more outspoken and saying something that is obvious, which was that this is a project entirely conceived and executed by the United States. It serves no European interest whatsoever. It's destroying the European economies. It's leading to um, uh, the possibility of an all-out uh, world war with Russia. And um, the Americans are just uh, sitting pretty. The problem is that uh, Hungary is a very small country, and without any allies, it's you know it, the, his voice is limited. I mean, there are few people, a few individuals in Europe who echo him, but they have no power. I mean, the president of Croatia has sounded you know similar uh, notes to um, Orbán's, but the presidency of Croatia is a purely ceremonial position. Same goes with the president of the Czech Republic. Again. He said sensible things, but again, the presidency of the Czech Republic is uh, ceremonial. So at the moment, I don't see any echo, but it's, it could change. I mean, we've seen um, strikes 
in uh, Germany. Uh, we've seen uh, protest after protest in France, um, strikes uh, in the UK. You know, who knows? There may at some point, you know, it reach a critical mass and people say enough already. You know, we just we don't want your stinking war. What are we getting out of it? So, you know, who knows? Anything could happen. But at the moment, you know, Orban is out there by himself. George Samuli, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Let's go to Washington, D.C. then and talk with Michael. Yeah, I'm in uh, the state of, uh, you know, U.S., the state Washington. They're fighting awfully hard uh, for... So uh, no problem. And uh, God, God bless us, George, for having you on this planet with your voice and courage at this time, I'm telling you. Now... Thank you, Michael. The, uh, they're fighting really hard for this buck move. They said, oh, it's nothing. But I find out there's a tunnel that goes from uh, underneath uh, buck move to yeah. a city or a town uh, west of there. They might have been hiding a lot mm -hmm. of materials there, apparently, you know, a lot of evidence. And I think they're fighting uh, hard to, to, you know, torture chambers. Who knows? And they're just putting an awful lot of emphasis on this one town. And even though they say, oh, yeah. this is um, some kind of a special. Uh, yeah. Um, is it, wouldn't it be more the case that they're, they're trying to hide some evidence and, and they really have a nefarious uh, thing that they want to, to, to co continue by defending Bakhmut? Yeah, well, you certainly wouldn't put it past them, uh, Michael. You, you wouldn't put anything past these characters. Uh, there could be anything in those tunnels. That's right. Uh, and they have vacillated, as I said in my opening remarks, between calling it uh, strategically vital. Uh, Zelensky went begging around the world, you need to help me save Bakhmut. If I lose Bakhmut, he told the Wall Street Journal, I'll have to compromise with the Russians, a statement which has now disappeared into the ether can't even be found on the Wall Street Journal's website anymore. Uh, so it's hard to know. And uh, people have different points of view. You may have noticed in my interview with George Samuli uh, a very obvious difference in tone uh, to uh, the statements, for example, of Colonel McGregor, uh, of Scott Ritter, uh, both of whom have insisted that Bakhmut is indeed strategically important, that a whole new set of towns and cities will immediately become vulnerable to Russian uh, control uh, if it falls. Uh, George wasn't so sure about that, wasn't so sure whether it was strategically important or not, and thought that the upcoming uh, counteroffensive, which he seems very clear about, uh, was uh, by far the more important uh, issue. So it's difficult for us to know, Michael, at this distance. I follow all the telegram groups and accounts that give you blow-by-blow, uh, blow, sometimes far too many blow-by-blows uh, on, on the war. I follow as much as I can, but that doesn't make me uh, a sand pit general. And I never like to second-guess military people about military things in any case, I suppose the best we can do is wait and see, Michael. Now, you are in Washington State, as is Nathan, 
who's in Seattle. Let's hear from him on Trump. Go ahead, Nathan. Hey, George. Thanks for uh, standing up and uh, speaking courageously on uh, matters that a lot of uh, mainstream media outlets won't do. I am calling with the unenviable position of defending Donald Trump. Uh, This whole Mm. persecution of him is uh, a disgrace. I'm not saying I don't want to see Donald Trump in jail. But I'd like to see him jailed for uh, other things that all of our politicians are guilty for, of. So we can have other precedent things, yeah. for going after. Exactly. We're going after uh, the bigger Yeah, exactly. Criminals. And uh, <laughs> it, it, exactly. If he had some cellmates, if he was going to be banged up uh, with Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, then I could certainly live with that, Nathan. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, shameful that, you know, that, that, uh, uh, they're going after him for uh, having sex with an of-age uh, porn star and paying to cover it up, as opposed to going to Epstein Island. I mean, if you got any pictures with Jeffrey Epstein and they were investigating those people, I would be all about it, you know, because those are the people who are running our country yeah. into the ground, psychopaths uh, who need to be stopped. But uh, Donald Trump, uh, I, I feel like this is going to uh, only strengthen his position and he's going to have a, a greater chance of becoming president because people are going to uh, uh, sympathize for him because, like, they see what's happening. They see that. Well, let, uh, let me uh, let, let, let me press you on that, Nathan. And the view you express is expressed by many uh, and overwhelmingly on our poll, which is now nearly 19,000 people. Uh, but I wonder if that really is true, if it's not uh, wishful thinking on some people's part. Because we don't know what's in the indictment on uh, Tuesday. We know the Stormy Daniels stuff, which uh, I would have thought, and my legal counsel on this is my good friend Lionel, uh, and he's very clear that uh, Trump could not possibly be convicted on that count. But what if there are other counts? And what if other counts are added and added and added? I'm not so sure as you are and as the respondents are that this won't uh, hamstring Trump's attempt to be the Republican nominee, at least, uh, in 24. What do you think? Um, I, I think this is, this is uh, it, it's a big show uh, trial. Like uh, Nancy Pelosi is coming out saying that Trump has the right to prove his innocence. No, you're supposed to be innocent until proven yeah. guilty. <laughs> and uh, I think I saw that, yeah. this is just, just going to... Uh, um, uh, uh, make people, th- you know, further entrenched in the belief that they have to vote for Trump. I am one of those people. I'm all for seeing third parties. I was trying to get uh, people like uh, I was on here trying to get, you know, someone like Richard Wolf, RFK, uh, to run for president so we could have someone who has a track record of going after corporations. But, um, yeah, I think this is just uh, uh, like like Trump. He has a, a smaller group of uh, um, followers, but I think this is going to help him grow. Uh, because they just see, uh, uh, the, you know, like the, this uh, uh, farce. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty farcical. Yeah, yeah. It's so pretty I, I brazen, do. pretty transparent. Uh, we'll see what the outcome is. Uh, let's talk about it on Wednesday, Nathan. Once we've seen the color of the DA's money uh, in the indictment on Tuesday, some YouTube comments. Zenith says, please get George to talk about the Restrict Act about to pass the U.S. Congress. 
It's like the Patriot Act, but worse. Please call us uh, on that. You'll know more about it than me. The YouTube community poll, uh, some comments. Pine Gap Island Territory says, this is the stupidest thing they could prosecute him for, given all the many extremely serious crimes committed by pretty much every president. This is a raging disgrace. Uh, we have got a call from London. Ollie is in London, and he's on next. Ollie, go ahead, sir. Uh, hi, hi, Josh. Good evening. Yeah. Good evening. Go ahead. Yeah, can you, yes, I think um, ultimately, I think this um, Russia-Ukraine invasion or war, I think ultimately, I think Russia loses out. Um, so first of all, I, I, I work in energy, so I really want to understand the energy market. So first of all, we see that Russia is being forced to sell its crude at massive discounts. So China and India are not doing solidarity with Russia. They are, they are, they are asking for massive 20 to $30 discounts to take in Russian crude. So a lot of Russian crude is being sold at way lower pricing compared to Brent. Also, um, now China knows it's the only game in town. And you can see that in the recent, like, um, buildings and and um, and, um, and industries contract that are being signed, and so Russia has lost the ability to play off both sides. Before, it could always play off Europe against um, Asia. It could always play Asia against Europe. Now it's lost, and China knows it's the only game in town. So, in this relationship, unlike before, you know, during the Cold War, whereby uh, it was a much uh, balanced 50-50 percent relationship, I'm afraid in this relationship, Russia is going to be a kind of junior, it's going to be a kind of junior partner. And, and since China knows it's the only game in town, uh, it's going to de continue to demand and demand um, 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 co concessions, and which it continues to do. And also, ultimately, you know, just from, just like, like previous, the U.S. invasion of, um, of Afghanistan, the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, ultimately, Ukraine has everything to, to die for, you know, in terms of fighting for its land. And for a lot of Russian soldiers, they don't. So ultimately, um, um, Ukraine has all the uh, motivation to continue to fight this war, and Russian and Russia don't, because it's not, um, it's not like they are losing Moscow or they are losing St. Petersburg. So I think in the end, the war is going to be long and protracted. And we already, and we do see it in, in, um, in, because why, why would a Russian soldier want to die for an extra piece of land in Ukraine? But for an Ukrainian, they are willing to do that because, again, it's a different, which is why, uh, yeah, so I think on both balances, if you look at, I think ultimately, um, Russia loses out on the fact that, you know, they, they have only now one game in town, and China knows that, and ultimately, you know, Ukraine, you know, has all the time to wait in the war to continue to fight the war, just like Afghanistan did, just like Iraq did, you know, against the U.S. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I didn't agree with a single word of that, Ole. Maybe you're opening hello, uh, but I'm glad that you got the uninterrupted uh, pleasure of reading your NATO talking points. Every one of the points that you made are exactly the NATO talking points that we hear uh, uh, uttered in the mass media and in the corridors of power. Uh, listening to you, you would not know that the entire OPEC just dramatically reduced its 
production levels this very day. Uh, in the case of Russia and Saudi Arabia, 500,000 barrels of oil a day less uh, will be produced. I'm surprised that you, a man in the energy markets, didn't mention that. That will, of course, put the price of oil substantially up. And all of the main producers will concur on that OPEC decision. Even those not in OPEC are cutting their production. Listening to you speaking, you would not know that the ruble was the best performing currency in the world in 2022 and has started 2023 in rip-roaring fashion. Listening to you speaking, you would not know that Russia has a level of inflation, about one-third of the level of inflation being suffered by Western European countries, that the Russian economy was growing faster and farther than any other European economy. Listening to you speaking, you would not know that our economies were falling through the floor. And listening to you speaking, you would not think that Bakhmut had fallen in the last couple of hours. Your determination to fight to the last drop of the last Ukrainian's blood uh, is, uh, of course, your prerogative. And you're welcome to, uh, uh, to proselytize for it here. And we'll see, of course, in the course of time, whether your prediction that Ukraine has all the time in the world and that Russians have no intention of fighting seriously for Ukraine and that Ukrainians are not going to revolt about being sent into the Minsar by the, uh, by the little President Zelensky. We'll see in time uh, whether all these things are true or not. But we encourage a pluralism on this show. Unlike the mainstream media, where someone taking my point of view would certainly not get that long uninterrupted to make the points that you did. Let's go to Florida and talk with Simon. Go ahead, Simon. Hello there, Mr. Galloway. It's a pleasure to speak with you once again. Um, I do, as usual, have some extremely significant strategic news for you. Something that's gone largely underreported, but Good. is absolutely monumental, is Russia's new foreign policy concept that came out in Russian on um, uh, Wednesday. Then it was translated into English. It's 76 paragraphs long. But the most important thing is that it spells out in detail the vision that has been agreed upon by President Xi and President Putin. And it's very important for listeners to remember that Russia has the highest diplomatic status with the People's Republic of China, and that is called the Comprehensive Strategic Partnership of Coordination. So when Russia puts out a massive document like this, it is absolutely inconceivable that the Chinese have not been read into it and allowed to raise objections beforehand. Now, they've explained, and this makes Ukraine a skirmish on the edge of empire. It becomes utterly trivial without meaning to diminish the ongoing loss of life there. But in the overall scheme of things, they are talking about merging the Commonwealth of Independent States with the Eurasian Economic Union 
with the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, with all of the countries in the Middle East, and with ASEAN, the 10 nations of Asia, into a huge economic federation. And it's interesting that you've had some calls of India, because just the day after that, unexpectedly, and with effect, the next day, India put out a new foreign trade policy. And not only did they announce that they wanted to triple their exports in seven years, which means a 21% compound growth rate year after year after year for the next seven years, but they also said they wanted to internationalize the rupee and to completely de-dollarize all of their trade. Now, this is just days after they've done a deal with the Iranians to completely fit out and train the staff to operate the port of Chabahar, irrespective of U.S. sanctions in the southeastern corner of Iran. And they've negotiated a deal with the Russians to build an entire city close to Vladivostok and then use that as a halfway point for the Northern Sea Resort to bring the very raw materials that India is going to need in order to achieve its goal of becoming a $5 trillion equivalent economy in short order by bringing a steady stream of resources via Iran to the west coast of India and via Vladivostok to the east coast of India. It is an absolutely massive transformation in the orientation of all of the geopolitical relationships in the world. And they have specifically excluded the United States. And they won't even refer to the United Kingdom. That's just called the Anglo-Saxons. They're specifically excluded from the deal, no matter the origins of Rishi Sunak. And yet they're telling now the individual members of the European Union that if they want to get on board with the new era, as the Chinese are calling it, and they're all flocking one after the other to meet President Xi, he is telling them that the condition that they have in order to join the Greater Eurasian Partnership on the far left-hand side of the map, so to speak, excluding America and Great Britain, then they have to exhibit strategic independence, which means breaking away from American domination. Very powerful case indeed, Simon. I'm grateful to you for the material on it that you sent me prior uh, to tonight's show. We look forward to your wisdom every week on the Mother of All talk shows. Uh, perhaps we should get you on the screen so that we can see you. You're a very clever and well-informed man. And the description you gave of the scale and speed of the shifting of the tectonic plates in the world is very, very much what I myself experienced in China uh, with my wife just last week. Uh, the, uh, in the next few days, in the first 11 days uh, of uh, April, the president of France, uh, the prime minister of Spain, the president of Brazil, the head of the European Union, in just 10 days, 
will all be in Beijing. I just got out in time. I would never have got a hotel room for them and all their retinue. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Simon Ateba is the chief White House correspondent in Washington, D.C. for Today News Africa. He hit the headlines and has remained in them and has attracted hundreds of thousands of followers on social media because, well, frankly, they won't give him a look in, certainly a word in edgeways, in the White House uh, press room perhaps because of the perspicacity of his forensic journalism, which we're forced to read mainly on social media, and a very good read it is too. So at the end of this interview, I fully expect each and every viewer of the mother of all talk shows to follow Simon Ateba on social media. He's also got a sub-stack, which is more and more heavily subscribed People are flocking to Simon Ateba, which proves the old adage that the book they tried to ban always goes to the top of the bestseller list. He joins us now, Simon. Uh, A great pleasure to have you on the mother of all talk shows. Perhaps you could uh, tell those viewers not yet familiar with you what happened. Why did they decide to shut you up and how? Thank you, thank you, George, for having me on your show. Um, I understand that is I like the name, the mother of all talk shows, which is really great. Um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, so I spent time covering the White House. As you know, you and I are almost on two different sides. Um, our newspaper today, News Africa, focuses on U.S.-Africa relations. We try to promote ties between Africa and the U.S with relevant and accurate information. And so we expect to get questions, especially when President Biden is receiving 50 African leaders in Washington, D.C., as he did last December. And sometimes it's hard, sometimes it's hard to get those questions. And, you know, and we keep pushing, including as a vice president, you know, is just completing a trip for, to Africa. You know, she went to three African nations and the first lady, Jill Biden, just returned from Africa a few weeks ago. And so that job is just to keep pushing and keep uh, uh, trying to see how we can strengthen those relations. And, you know, it's been, it's not been perfect. It also means that even in the U.S. and even at the White House, things are not uh, always perfect. They keep improving every day. And people like me keep uh, making sure that we keep moving in the right direction. 
Well, I haven't myself seen the improvement every day, but uh, I'll, I'll take your word for that, or at least allow you to say that uh, without uh, responding with a raspberry. But uh, to what do you attribute this cold shoulder? It's not race, because the woman who's refusing to call you to ask your questions is herself, uh, I think, Haitian. She's certainly a black American woman. Uh, so they're not uh, boycotting you because of your skin color. It must be because of your politics, surely. Yeah, I, I think is the truth is hard, right? If you ask the tough questions to any press secretary who is there to protect the president, uh, truth is hard. Truth is tough, and and so even at the White House, if you ask the right questions, if you ask the, if you ask the tough questions. Uh, you are likely to to also be sidelined and to also be silenced the way uh, the press secretary has tried to sideline me. And, and, and as I said, it shows that even at the White House, improvement has to continue. It's not a perfect situation where, um, you know, because you're in the U.S. and journalism is perfect, it's not. Uh, and, you know, you have to keep pushing. As, as I said, our publication today, News Africa, focuses on strengthening ties between U.S. and Africa. And we can only do that if we are given access to, you know, provide our readers with accurate and relevant information between those ties. If you sideline us, what happens is we are not allowed to do our job, even right here in the U.S., but isn't that symptomatic of the U.S.'s actual attitude to Africa? I mean, you may be keen on having good ties to them, but they don't actually give a damn about Africa. So uh, the U.S. is trying to improve ties with Africa. As you know, last August, the Secretary of State Blinken went to South Africa and the DRC and Rwanda. And while he was in South Africa, he unveiled the new U.S.-Africa policy, you know, in, in an attempt to strengthen the ties between the U.S. and Africa. And last December, President Biden also hosted the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C., which was only the second summit to take place uh, since President Obama left office. The first one took place in 2014. And as I said, the vice president just completing a trip to Africa. You know, she went to Ghana, Zambia, and Tanzania. And the first lady also just returned from Africa. But those trips are not enough. Um, we see China expanding ties in Africa. We see China investing heavily in Africa, while the U.S. seems to be retreating. So uh, I wouldn't say that the U.S. doesn't give a damn. I would say that the U.S. is... Um, losing power and lo losing strength in Africa. Well, of course, many of these trips, uh, Kamala Harris recently in Ghana, uh, is not to build ties with uh, African countries like Ghana, but to give them orders. Uh, in the context of a democracy forum, she, she lectured Ghana on what their policy should be on LGBTQ plus and trans issues, for example. They go to these African countries not to build ties with Africa, but to warn Africa uh, against getting too close to China. Isn't that true? 
And and I, I, I wouldn't call it uh, exactly like lecture, right? Um, the U.S. officially has some positions on human rights, uh, officially, officially. Officially, the U.S. believes that human rights are important. And when the VP was in, in Ghana, and even when she went to Zambia and other countries, you know, the, she talks about human rights. She talked about, you know, the fact that U.S. and Africa, she continued to strengthen their relationship. She also talked about the debt, which is a big problem with the IMF and the World Bank, especially, you know, a lot of African countries got billions and billions of dollars during COVID that they are unable to pay. Um, and so um, it, I know there's a tendency to lecture some African nations and tell them what is good for them. But we can see that African nations, they are able to think for themselves. As you know, uh, in more than 30 African nations, um, same-sex relationships are still, you know, against the law um, because Africans believe that they will, you know, they will be able to come um, to bring out about solution to their own problems. They don't really uh, wait on Kamala Harris to tell them what to do, or even President Biden to tell them what to do. I think that Africans right now, they know uh, they can make their own decisions and they know when, who is their friend, who has been there for them, and who they should do business with. And right now, African nations are doing businesses with China, with Russia, with Europe, with the U.S., and with other countries. Uh, the U.S. is trying to explain to them that they are the best alternative. And has the someone who works for Today News Africa and trying to strengthen ties between U.S. and Africa, we believe that it's in, in the interest of Africa to strengthen ties between U.S. and Africa. Finally, uh, Simon, uh, what's the attitude of your fellow correspondents there in the room? Have they been supportive uh, to you? Give us a, a picture of that, if you would. Yes, yeah, so most people don't do it in public. Most people send me text messages, write me on Twitter, uh, see me outside the White House to tell me that they really want me to understand what I'm trying to do and they support me, but they can't do it in public because we put them in the bad book of the press secretary. So they, they, can, they can stand up for me in the briefing room. How brave of them. Uh, I, I don't know quite how to put this, but uh, if, if she was working for me, I'd definitely be looking for a replacement. I have seen press secretaries by the dozen in my political lifetime, and she is by far the worst, almost farcically so. Uh, do, the, do the press corps think that way, or are they too diplomatic to say so? So when uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, the name of the press secretary, when she came last May, she's going to clock one year in May, and this is already April, so she'll be one year in you know, a job next, next, next month. Uh, at the beginning, it was tough. She made some improvements. She used to read a lot, read the binder a lot. And you, as you know, the U.S. is a superpower, like, you know, Russia and other big countries in the world where you try to address global issues. 
um, you know, when President Putin is having an inter a press conference, they don't just ask him about Russia, they ask him about Ukraine, about, you know, the US and Europe and different things. It's not the same thing in many countries around the world. In the US, it's the same thing. And so if you are the press secretary, you are asked about everything under the sun, including what happens in space. And so it's good that she does her homework. And I think she's made some improvement, but she's not made a lot of improvement when it comes to being fair to people like me in the briefing room who have questions to ask and who are trying to do their job and strengthen ties between US and Africa. Well, I'm sure she'll watch this interview, Simon, uh, with interest. So thank you very much for giving us it and all the best to you. Uh, the next guest is Garland Nixon. I promise you, you don't want to miss that. I'll be right back. Now, will Stormy Daniels sweep away Donald Trump, or as our poll puts it, will Stormy Daniels sink Donald Trump? Overwhelmingly, our respondents, between 83% and 90% of you, think that she will not, uh, and 20,000 people have voted. You can get your vote in in the next 10, 15 minutes. The one and only Garland Nixon is a powerful antidote to our last guest. Here he comes. Garland, very, very, very glad to see you. Even more than usual, I'm glad to see you. Uh, thanks for uh, joining us. Let's talk about Stormy Daniels. Uh, it's not a weather warning. Uh, she's a real person. Uh, albeit not every part of her is real. Uh, but will she sink Donald Trump? I suspect not. Um, in, in reality, when you look at the current, um, what is expected to be charges against Donald Trump, um, we're looking at something that's, that, that if they were valid, which I'm not so sure that they are, um, they wouldn't be anything that I would think would cause someone to go to jail, uh, maybe finable at the most um, in, in uh, reality. But they, this is just part of a larger set of actions against Donald Trump. There are investigations into him for January 6th. There are investigations into Donald Trump for um, Georgia, something going to do with Georgia in the election. A lot of the investigations, we're not even sure what they were. And keeping in mind that um, this has been uh, the state of affairs since before John, uh, Donald Trump got elected, a constant um, array of investigations and allegations thrown against Donald Trump. I'm a lefty, as you know, like you, and certainly not a Donald Trump supporter. supporter. But um, to see, to live in a country where the leading candidate in the opposition party is uh, being arrested and investigated for multiple alleged infractions certainly gives me the, um, you know, gives me the feeling that my country has slipped far away from what we would consider, a, you know, a republic or a democracy. Yes, uh, I mean, one can have fun all night with it uh, about the presidents and high officials, panjandrums in the State Department and so on, uh, who have done far, far worse than uh, pay hush money to a slattern, as Lionel put it, uh, and have never been investigated or prosecuted. But we are where we are. Uh, on Tuesday it would appear the last president of the United States is going to do a perp walk. He's going to be photographed 
in a, in a, in a mugshot, like, you know, natural born killers. Uh, he's going to be fingerprinted. He might even be handcuffed. Uh, can it seriously be held, as so many of our voters on the poll seem to think, that that will boost his uh, potential to win uh, in, in 2024? I find that hard to believe. I tend to think that it will, because uh, so many people are unhappy with the system, and I foresee over the course of time the Ukraine conflict um, becoming less and less popular. If you look at all of these um, with the, you know, illegitimate wars and invasions that the U.S. has done, particularly over the last 20 years, it's easy to predict that over the first two, three, four years, they get um, continuously um, less popular. So Donald Trump has taken a position against the Ukraine con against the U.S.'s participation in the Ukraine conflict, and he wants it over. And I, I suspect that as the sentiment grows amongst the, the the American populace, which it is currently growing, turning a corner, um, as the arguments arise over more money going to um, going to the Ukraine conflict, that the support for Donald Trump will 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 uh, increase, and that people will. Um, connect the um, multiple investigations against Donald Trump and the charges against Donald Trump and the more that will, the more charges that will likely be rising, that they will connect these things to his opposition to some of the foreign policy actions um, taken by uh, the neocons who are currently in, in a power. So I'm suspecting that when it comes down to it, in the same way that prior to 2016, you know, I was one of the people that thought Trump would win. And I thought the people, when they hear the CNN and the MSNBC people and the Washington Post people attacking Donald Trump day in and day out, they think, well, we really hate you a lot worse than we hate him. And I think that, um, yes, I think that his popularity will rise. They will effectively, you know, politically martyr him. And if the system goes after you like this and people get more unpopular with the system, heaven knows if there's some kind of a bank crash, which seems on the horizon, that Donald Trump will look like a person who, you know, is the system is trying to hang him out to dry because he's telling the truth. I'm not saying that is, in fact, um, a reality, but I'm saying I think that that's, that that sentiment will increase. It's bizarre that he has been indicted before Hunter Biden. Well, when you look at this, you know, one of the things that we started to hear at the beginning was no one is above the law. But that quieted down quickly because right now the Biden administration is pushing, they're fighting um, for all they're worth to prevent an investigation into the Nord Stream bombing. You know, everyone knows that that um, Joe Biden is the Nord Stream bomber, as it were, and they're fighting to stop that, which is a violation of international law and, of course, a violation of um, of of, of uh, federal law and constitutional law here in the United States. We look at Hunter Biden. What well, you could go on forever there. The the FBI has admitted that they had Hunter Biden's laptop for an entire year before uh, the 2020 election. Um, and the controversy arised, and they didn't see see fit to investigate any of the multiple um, issues in there that certainly appear to be a crim of a criminal nature. And the most obvious one being um, a violation of the Foreign Agent Registration Act, the FARA Act. Clearly, there are multiple violations of that by Hunter Biden. So the idea that no one is above the law is not um, sticking to. I mean, you could go on and on, Hillary, with the with the multiple uh, thirty three thousand emails erased. Where does it stop? So it, it it becomes very very obvious that Donald Trump is a special case. That this is in fact selective prosecution, which again, selective prosecution is unconstitutional on its face. What about his uh, Republican rivals? 
DeSantis faced a tricky, uh, a tricky situation because, of course, uh, uh, Donald Trump is his constituent. He's the governor of Florida. Trump lives in Florida. Uh, if Trump did not surrender to the New York authorities, uh, DeSantis would have had to uh, grant uh, extradition from one state to the other, said that he wouldn't, but only once he knew that he wouldn't have to because Trump was going to go anyway. Uh, it's tricky for his Republican rivals how to handle this, isn't it? And it's particularly, tr particularly tricky for a number of them because they are inured to the same corrupt system that's going after Donald Trump. So, so they want to keep, you know, one foot inside the circle and one foot out. They want to certainly, you know, maintain um, support from the, you know, maybe 30, 30, 35, 40 percent of the Republican Party that's diehard Trump, that's not going anywhere under any circumstances. They know they can't win without that. But at the same time, I suspect that a number of them are aligned with the system. And if they can find a way to get Donald Trump out of the way so that they can, they can um, you know, seek their own for political fortunes, they'd be happy to do it. So it's a, it's a tightrope walk for particularly someone like DeSantis. And to be quite frank, not that i you know, support any either of these parties. But I see Santis very much like DeSantis very much like a Joe Biden, a person who will, you know, talk a populist game, et cetera, when he's out of office. And as soon as he gets in the office, he is part of the machine in the worst kind of way. Now, I don't know what the opinion polling is or even if there's been any, but I do know that Donald Trump raised five million dollars uh, in the 48 hours after this uh, uh, this indictment was was uh, publicized and it's presumably grown a fair bit since then. Uh, as you say, 35, 40% of uh, Republican voters are not just going to vote for Donald Trump, but they're going to fund him uh, so he can afford the, the best of lawyers. Um, although I'm not sure he's currently hired the best of lawyers. Uh, you're a man that knows about courtrooms. You are a former law enforcement official, a former executive member of the American Civil Liberties Union. How, talk us through what would happen, what happens on Tuesday and what happens when charges are laid and, and a trial begins. Well, what I expect to happen, of course, there will be the administrative procedures on um, on um, Tuesday where he will be advised of uh, the charges against him. And he will, of course, in all likelihood, the fingerprinting the process, they call it processing, where he is fingerprinted, where he has to present identification and where he takes a picture, which is commonly known as a mugshot. The basic the basic um, basically. Uh, he will be identified as who he is, and then he will be presented with the charges against him. I would expect immediately his um, his uh, representation to pour over the um, uh, the charges and begin uh, filing motions for dismissal. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if some of them are successful. I don't know, but that's what the, the, the in the immediacy they'll be filing motions for um, dismissal, picking the charges apart. And you know, keep in mind again, these are charges that the Federal Election Commission, that the federal government looked at and elected not to move forward with it. So the the federal government decided, well, there's there's no there there, and so some local attorneys in um, in, in New York decided we're going to take these same. Um, 
charges, these same allegations and turn them into charges. I mean, and if let's be honest about it, I mean, even the business about that he paid, had an affair with Stormy Daniels and paid her off in Washington, D.C., in New York City. This is not the most rare instance that would ever occur. But the idea that at that point, I think one of the issues is, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they're going to have to prove that he did that for purely political purposes. Now, if you look at this, he's a married man. It is a valid argument for him to say, I did it because I didn't want to get in trouble with my wife. I mean, that makes perfect sense. So to prove that he did it solely to affect the um, solely to affect the outcome of the elections, I think, is, a, is is impossible. But I think the idea is there are more charges coming from various, you know, they're going to do they call it shotgunning, throw all the charges they can up against the wall um, against Donald Trump. Um, and try to find a way to prevent him from running, because most likely he'll win. But again, a a lot of people uh, in other countries may not realize that Eugene Debs ran for um, ran for ran ran for uh, president, um, I believe, in the 1920s, somewhere around that from prison. So there are no the Constitution only says, you know, you have to be 35, et cetera. It sets out the standards, but it does. One of the standards has nothing to do with being connected, convicted of a crime or or being in prison. So none of those things, I don't believe constitutionally that Congress will be able to find a way to stop Donald Trump from running, regardless of how many um, charges that they 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 uh, ally ally against him over the course of this time. I think it's busy work. I think it's public relations, et cetera. Uh, You'll like this comment on YouTube. Timothy Gibbons. Garland's IQ is too high. There should be a brain warning when he (laughs) is coming on. And so say all of us. Garland Nixon, thank you very much indeed for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. I'm sure we'll speak again on this subject. I think the poll is about to close. It's 20,525 strong, almost a record, but not quite a record. And overwhelmingly, people think that Stormy Daniels will not sink Donald Trump. Uh, Here's some emails, because we get them too, on air at moats.tv. Hi, George, you might find this comment a bit cynical. However, I see the USA as a Pakistan mark situation. As you have said before, Imran Khan is headed for the gallows. Donald Trump is he heading towards a jail sentence and another victim like Epstein. You know, Baba Vanga did predict that Trump would die a mysterious death. Best regards, Mohammed Tony. Enigmatically. Back to the lines. Muzaffar is in California on Trump. Go ahead, Muzaffar. Hi, good, good, good morning or good afternoon. Yes, good afternoon, sir. What would you like to say? Well, I'm a little bit concerned about Donald Trump, not as much as concerned, much more concerned about the 70 million people who voted him in office. These people have been brainwashed mm-hmm. by the media, and the media has been nothing but full of lies. The Prophet of Islam said the disadvantage of lying is that your enemies don't believe you, but your supporters believe you. So now we have created a bunch of supporters who are based their opinion on lies. And these lies have turned the people in favor of Trump. If we need to bomb anybody, we should bomb all the news media stations, not 
the power no, grid not, or anybody else. No, let's not. <laughs> no, let's not bomb anybody anywhere. Let's stop the bombs uh, from falling. What do you think the impact of uh, Tuesday is going to be in California or indeed in any of these states? How will it play in Peoria, as they famously asked? Well, I think those who favor him will favor him even more. And those who are against him will not change their mind. And so you don't think it will affect the course of, say, the primary uh, season coming up in the Republican Party, for example? I don't foresee that. I think that uh, his chances of winning is very good simply because of the fact that the, most of the media, especially CNN, rather, I'm sorry, Fox, which most people watch, are very much in his favor. Mm. Him. These media and there's no, are not there's no news real uh, rival, is there? Uh, right now, we don't see any real rival. The guy in, in Florida... He's like, is, uh, he's, he, he's like the deadly upas tree, uh, under which is, nothing else can grow. Uh, Muzaffar, as you're in California, let me ask you this. Uh, there are a lot of people think that Trump cannot possibly... Sorry, Biden cannot possibly run again that Kamala Harris is too intellectually challenged uh, to be allowed to be the Democratic nominee. And many people think your governor, Newsom, will be the Democratic candidate. What can you tell us about him? Well, I hope Newsom is, because he's certainly much more balanced in the Democratic Party than anybody else. But based on tradition, it has to be the vice president. So I don't know if we are ready to break that tradition or not. Uh, as far as they'd be making a very big mistake, in my view, she's uh, she's the Spiro Agnew uh, of this uh, case, and only thee and me of a certain age, perhaps know quite how bad that means. Muzaffar, thank you. Dan is in Saskatchewan, on Russia. Go ahead, Dan. Hey, uh, good evening, George. Pleasure to be on your show. Thank you, sir. Go ahead. Um, I wanted to bring up Sevastopol. Uh, just a couple of facts that seem to be forgotten by the majority of people here. That it was 1792 when Russia started building it. Uh, they've been in control of it since the day it was opened. It's an integral part of Russian defense. But somehow they've lumped it into those 1991 international borders of the Ukraine that has to go back to Ukraine without negotiation. I just wonder if I could get your opinion on just how escalatory that was and how the rhetoric not changing has helped escalate this even further. Uh, just wondering your thoughts. Uh, without, well, yeah, Jonathan, uh, sorry, Dan, without a doubt it is escalatory. All of this rhetoric is the, the uh, Zelensky said yesterday that there will be no negotiations with Russia until all Russian forces have left without a fight. Uh, now, he means, of course, the evacuation of uh, Crimea, which voted overwhelmingly, well over 90%, uh, to rejoin Russia, which had always been a part of Russia and where almost every person who lives in Crimea is actually Russian. Uh, these are uh, fantasy schemes. Uh, I'm not ruling out that uh, that Ukraine can have a successful counteroffensive, can make territorial gains. I'm not ruling that out. Uh, 
What I am ruling out is that Russia will allow itself to lose the war, lose Sebastopol, lose Crimea. And you don't have to be Einstein to work out what I'm saying here. That if the conventional war, I don't believe it will, but if it were to turn against them and in favor of NATO, uh, then uh, nuclear weapons will be deployed on the battlefield. There cannot be the slightest doubt about that. No nuclear superpower will allow itself to be defeated on territory it considers to be its own uh, in a conventional war. I mean, that's simply inconceivable. Even if Putin didn't want to escalate it, he would be overthrown and replaced by someone who certainly would. Uh, So that's why I'm so keen to bring a stop to this conventional war, because I'm certain that it has the real possibility stroke probability of leading to an exchange of nuclear weapons. Now, some of you say, well, it'll be battlefield nuclear weapons. It won't affect the countries next door, except the the prevailing winds are unfavorable. Uh, It'll be confined to the territory of Ukraine uh, and so on. But that isn't, of course... uh, definitely so. And I believe, actually, it is definitely not so. Because if Russia uses nuclear weapons, uh, then uh, NATO will equally use its battlefield nuclear weapons. Now, if a nuclear power will not allow itself to lose a conventional war, it sure as heck cannot allow itself to to lose a nuclear war. So, battlefield weapons... Uh, very quickly become intermediate-range weapons. And that means Berlin, it means Paris, it means London. Uh, And, of course, once you've got an intermediate-range nuclear war raging on the European continent, and we are all destroyed, then who will stop that becoming an intercontinental uh, ballistic nuclear weapon exchange? Who? Will the United States not fire uh, its intercontinental weapons at Russia, perhaps even at China? Will they not respond in kind? It's inconceivable. So that's why I am so beseeching of the need to reach a political settlement in this. There have been two peace proposals, both of which have been rejected by the United States and by Zelensky. The first, the Turkey proposals, which Boris Johnson was sent to destroy and warned Zelensky not to agree to. And the second now is the Chinese peace plan. Who knows what's in the Chinese peace plan? Why have you never seen it on BBC? Why have you never read it in The Guardian or The Times or The Washington Post? Why not? Because they don't want a peace plan, because they still think that there's something for them to be gained by, uh, by uh, continuing the war. And I think that uh, the uh, interview with George Samuli earlier was quite somber. Uh, he now says everything turns on what he says is an upcoming Ukrainian counter offensive, which means that all the other 
chaff that we've read was false, to put us off the track, and that Bakhmut doesn't matter. They're planning something else. If George is right, then there's going to be the mother of all battles upcoming as the Ukrainians launch a counteroffensive and as the Russians seek to defeat it. Final call, I think probably, is from Jonathan in California. Jonathan, welcome. Hi, Judge. Thank you for uh, Hi. holding me back. Yeah. Go ahead, sir. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I, you're, I, on I your you're on the air. You're on the air. Yeah, I watch your videos. Uh, sometimes you refer to, um, you know, St. Augustine, right? Of the city yes. of God. Yes. Yeah. I dreamt. Uh, I dreamt. Yeah. I dreamt. I saw Saint Augustine. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, before I tell you, I want to tell you uh, a thing. Before I want to tell that, uh, you, uh, when you have time, please refer Saint Jerome, who is at the time of uh, Saint Augustine, and also uh, Sir Isaac Newton, scientist. Uh, uh, what I'm mm-hmm. going to tell, they also had similar views. So uh, okay. the thing, the the West I see, the present West, it's uh, collective West. When I say West, collective West, uh, Western Europe, America, Canada, and Australia. The collective West is mm-hmm. a empire of Germanic tribes, say like Anglo-Saxons in Europe, I mean UK, and then Franks in France, and then Lombards in Italy and Goths. So the Romans time has gone and then for some time Byzantines had rule over the West. Now with the time of empire of Germanic tribes, it started at uh, when Charlemagne was crowned as an emperor of Romans in Christmas, on Christmas Day, 880, right? So Newton predicted that the West must come to end after 1260 years period from that. So what I'm saying is there will be a uh, theological battle, I mean, war of war of words with the West. We will have it somewhere around 20 years from now upon this following statement, which I'm telling you. The statement is, West, the empire of Germanic tribes, is the beast of the prophecy and Protestants are the ten horns of that beast, and Church of Rome, which sat upon these people during the Dark Ages, is the Babylon of the prophecy. These are very dark to understand, but these are the truth, and we will fight a theological battle with the whole ecclesiastic realm of the Christian denominations and saints. We will do it somewhere around 20 years from now. That's what I wanted. Well, I'll probably, I'll probably, no, 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 enough, enough, Jonathan. Uh, I'll not be around probably 20 years from now, though, of course, uh, where there's life, there's hope. Uh, I don't look forward to such such an Armageddon. Uh, I don't look forward to the end of times, neither for myself nor for my children or their children as yet unborn, and I shy away from apocalyptic talk such as that. And some, by no means all, 
of my best friends are Protestants, and I certainly don't consider them to be carrying the mark of the beast uh, upon them. Uh, what I do know is that the conflict in Ukraine, inside Ukraine, has taken a decidedly uh, religio-political turn uh, with the incredible scenes of the head of the Orthodox Church having uh, an electronic tag applied to his leg and prelates of all ranks and distinction being assaulted and Zelensky announced this evening that he's going to seize all the land of the Russian Orthodox Church. This kind of uh, messianic uh, conflict is truly the last thing that we need on top of all the geopolitical conflict that we are now seeing played out in Ukraine. The idea of some kind of messianic cult-like uh, stampede towards the end of times it truly fills me with dread. Uh, so thanks for your call, but no thanks. Uh, will Stormy Daniels sink Donald Trump? 21,246 people voted. Final few super chats. Harry C. Smith sends five Australian dollars, 34 federal charges. They subpoenaed Mike Pence and refused an appeal to testify to the grand jury, read what Trump did and said on January 6th. So yeah, that's coming, says Harry. Bruce Lee Roy sends $10. George, remember when BB got 27 standing ovations before the U.S. Congress? Yes, and the U.S. Congress is now trying to bring him down. Uh, John sends seven U.S. dollars. All will be well. All manner of things will be well. The world teacher, a.k.a. Maitreya Buddha, the Christ, Krishna, Kalki, Avatar, Imam Mahdi, etc. My goodness. And Gorgonzola sends $4.99. South Korea is being purposely, incessantly endeared to us for the past few years. Its music, its films, and its language. I sense a massive false flag coming. Well, I'm quite a fan of Koreans, their food, and their films. So I hope not. Uh, Goran Pekotic sends five euros. Thank you. And Michael Jeffrey sends two US dollars says, long live GG and Moats, RFK Jr. for president. There's a legend on the line. How could I refuse the one and only Norma in Bristol on Trump? Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Um, it's only a small piece, really. Um, I just wondered if I was the only one that had heard that it was on, there was this discussion on the radio uh, about Trump and and what was going to be um, happening to him or might happen to him. But they just, they put into this little bit on the radio that he supports the release of Julian Assange. And nobody's referred to that. And I thought, blimey, that's one good thing about Trump, isn't it? If he did happen to get as far as they want uh, to actually support the release. And maybe Edward Snowden. Had you heard that? Uh, yeah, um, I heard it before he left office, and I heard it now that he's seeking office again. And of course, I welcome it, Norma. Uh, 
I, I happen to believe that Julian Assange will be released and possibly sooner than you think. I think the, uh, the circumstances are coming together in Australia, in the United States, inside the Democratic Party, inside the Congress, and inside the powerful lobbies, uh, media lobbies in the United States. I think the circumstances are maturing to a conclusion that uh, Joe Biden uh, will have to decide not to continue with the persecution. I say persecution, not prosecution. And so I actually have high hopes uh, that uh, before the summer is out, that Julian Assange will be out. Uh, but Trump could have freed him when he had power to do so. Yes, Trump true. could have pardoned Julian, and he didn't do so. And we fully yeah. expected him to do so, as he had relied on many of the revelations that uh, Julian made in WikiLeaks in his campaign against, uh, against Hillary Clinton. Ditto uh, Snowden. It's, it, yeah. it, so, so many of these people, Norma, when they've got the power to do things, they don't do them. Last no, one to you. I'm, well, no, it's just better late than never, really. It's just that um, I just put it on my Twitter and somebody said, where did you hear that? You know, and I thought, well, I don't seem mm. to hear anybody that said that. Although, like you said, it could have been done before. And it but anyway, if it ever yeah. is done, we'll all celebrate it. God bless you, Norma, and thank you to all the callers that didn't get through another record number of callers tonight. More than 150 people tried to get on the show tonight, not able to fit you all in, obviously. Uh, Stormy Daniels is a failure, uh, a, a, a damp squib, according to our respondents, and it only remains for me to invite you back next Wednesday at the slightly later hour of 9 p.m. UK time. Now, clocks are changing all over the place in Britain and in the United States, so do check what the right time is. And uh, to more than a million of you, of course, the course of a week, I'm very grateful and hope that you'll come back and bring someone else with you. Thanks for watching.